0: Hello, animation fans, and welcome to another iAnimate podcast. This is episode 25 and the first of 2014, so Happy New Year. Joining me in this episode once again is Jason Ryan, who actually will be a longtime friend of our guest tonight. Jay?
1: Yeah, Eamon Butler, I have to say, um, was sort of one of these guys that was legendary, you know, back in Ireland, because I first heard his name like from my first animation instructor, uh, Larry Laurier, back in Dun Laoghaire Art College. And he was in contact with Eamon, and Eamon was working as a feature animator in London at the time, working on Fro7, uh, this Detective Frog uh, feature, which was kind of funny. I mean, it was a it was a funny show, you know, it wasn't the greatest uh, quality in the world, but I have to say, Eamon's sequence was definitely the highlight of the show. You could tell it was like, whoa, there's Disney style animation, and he sent uh, his work, like, kind of like printouts of his work, like uh, this hyena sequence uh, back to Ireland, so, you know, back to Larry Laurier, who kind of showed us like his stuff and said, this is feature quality animation. And I always kind of like looked up to Eamon and then Eamon came back to Ireland to teach and he actually taught in Dundary Art College, you know. I don't, He wasn't actually teaching uh, our particular year. He was teaching like the, the foundation year kind of animation while I was in second year, but I was always talking to him like and showing him my stuff and, you know, he would show me his stuff and it was fantastic. I mean, just the quality of his animation was far and beyond any skills that we actually had in Ireland at the time, you know. That's great. So Like it was one of those guys that knew every trick in the book. (laughs) If you asked him a question about like how to do something, if he didn't know about it, he would like go and research it and then tell you the, the following day how to do it.
0: And he's the one who actually got you over here to the States, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, it was uh, Doug Bennett, um, who uh, got, first got hired by Disney. Doug uh, actually gave Eamon's name to Hendel Butoy, the director of Fantasia. And uh, and then when Eamon got in contact with Hendel, he actually gave uh, Hendel my name, you know. So we both basically got hired like within like the first week, you know, we were hired on the same day, basically, you know.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to, to pulling him on. It sounds like he's got a great wealth of experience and obviously very talented artist. So let's bring him on.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks for setting this up, Jay and Larry.
3: Yeah, don't no worry. No.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Thanks a lot for spending the time, man.
0: No problem, no problem. Yeah, I had saw your guys's and we'll get into your short beans, but uh yeah. I I'd, I'd seen that. And I uh, just got a kick out of it. And then I saw your name on there. And I right away just shot it over to Jason. He's like, Oh, yeah, I already saw it and I sent him over uh, an email. So yeah. um, I said, Hey, would yeah. you, th- you think you'd think be up for a podcast? And he's like, Yeah, let's give him a shot. So, yeah, cool. I'm always up for that stuff. I haven't done one of these in years. i got since the right. The one that you did with him was in 2006. So I think you're due for a new podcast. So I appreciate you joining us. No problem. Um, so, yeah, first of all, I just really do appreciate you joining us. We, we get a lot of compliments. It's been really cool getting the feedback on the podcast. And uh, I know it's not because they want to hear me. They want to hear you guys. And so we appreciate you joining us again and having a great guest on here. So thanks for your time. No problem. Uh, me and Jay go way back. And uh, I'm always happy to support
2: him any way I can.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the first time I knew about Eamon was back when I was in college, in Dunleary Art College. And my first animation instructor, Larry Laurier, uh, had, I guess, of been in contact with Eamon, like, because he was in London working on Fro F-R-O-7. Yeah. And uh, that was like a like a was it a detective frog or something?
2: Yeah, it was a weird 2D film. Uh, <coughs> by all rights, it should never have gotten made. Uh, but, it was, um, but I learned a lot working on it. I got to work with some great artists. The movie turned didn't turn out too great, but, you know, you, you got to start somewhere. But uh, I think I well, was just, yeah. like, I left the same school as you, like basically just a year ahead of you. Wasn't that it?
3: That's right. Was, that's right. Yeah. It, yeah. it was originally a, like a one year program, right?
2: Yeah. David Brain, who's um, ex Disney, um, he worked on The Black Cold and he goes way back. Uh, he was sent over to Dublin to do, um, uh, to set up uh, a training course to, to uh, put together a team of animators. At the time, um, to support a, a potential Dublin-based Disney TV studio, um, at, and this was when we had uh, Disney had a studio in Paris and another one over in London, uh, and they were I think they were doing the Ducktales um, TV series and and sort of videos uh, straight to video uh, stuff. So the Dublin studio was was going to go ahead, and uh, David came over and picked about I think it was about twelve of us, and we did an intensive sort of one year gig. Just drawing every day, animating in between, everything. That's awesome. All the basics. And uh, and then they, they pulled the London studio, got shut. And then they decided to pull the Dublin studio before it, before it got started. They kept the Disney one in Paris, uh, which then switched over back to, or it reverted back to the Britzy brothers who were running it as a Disney studio. And then it became the Britzy's studio. Uh, and then eventually that they hooked up with Disney again years later to do Tarzan. But uh, yeah, it was it was
0: really. I mean, I couldn't have asked for better training. As I say, you got your training in before it shut down. Then.
2: Yeah, yeah, and then my first gig was uh, was getting started as an in betweener at Murakami Wolf, doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the TV show. (laughs) Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. yeah. And not a lot of people know, Like half that show was done in Korea, and the other half was done in Dublin. Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. Used to watch uh, that show.
2: Yeah, I mean, I used to love it, and then getting a chance to work on it was great. So, yeah, so that was um, that was good grounding, you know, at the time, with all due respect to the studio, I felt like um, I, I needed to reach a bit higher and I wanted to try for features and they weren't doing features. They were doing TV at the time. Nobody else was doing features other than Bluth and they were on the decline. So they'd stopped kind of hiring and there was a lot of talk around town that they they weren't doing so well. Um, so I applied there, but didn't get in. And then I, I went to um, uh, I basically, it's a long story, I sold all my stuff. Uh, I didn't have much stuff left and I, I, um, I bought a ticket to London and uh, flew into London with a portfolio and literally just knocked on doors. <laughs> um, and I, I came back the same day, flew back that evening with two job offers. And one of those was the, um, the Freddie movie. So I handed in my notice and moved over to London. And that's, uh, that was sort of the beginning of it. Uh, I met my wife there. What was the name of that uh, company, Eamon? <clears throat> it was Hollywood Road Film Productions. Yeah. yeah. They went on to start making a sequel, but it, it I don't think it took off. They didn't they didn't get to finish it. Um but I learned quite a lot and they got, you know, I got I became an animator there, did a test, worked hard, and then um I think it was like a year later, uh, after that show, we we did that game. I just um two D was sort of it was sort of the writing was on the wall for two D animation. At least I could see it and I thought, you know, I wouldn't mind trying uh computers. I was kinda of interested at the time, but there were no courses. There was nowhere you could go and do what, what Jason does. You know, you couldn't learn from a the master. There was, there was just nobody around to learn from. And you had to kind of do it yourself. So a friend of mine called up. Do you remember Alan? Yeah, Yep. Yeah, yeah so yeah. he was making a game called uh, Ecstatica, which is quite a famous game actually. It was the first game to use these ellipse, this ellipsoid technology. Um, and he was uh, finishing that game and he was moving on to a second game and he said he needed help. So I came in and, uh, uh, and it was me, him, my wife, Kirsten, and the programmer, and that was it. And it was great. And then we, as we grew, we needed extra help, and that's when we called Jay, um, and we got a couple other guys over, and we started building it.
0: Now, is this um, the same guy that made his own software?
2: He did. That's right. The yeah, his own animation software, software right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was basic, but I mean, I've yet to see a package that would let you do that that quickly. That's what Jason's it was unbelievable. mentioned.
3: You could, you could almost, I mean, you could animate pretty much like as the animation is playing back.
2: It was real time. <laughs> so
3: if you're like, for example, like if you're doing a walk cycle and you say, ah, oh, he needs more ups and downs, you could literally drag it as it's playing and see <laughs> yeah. it actually happen, you know?
2: It yeah, crazy. it was incredible. Incredible piece of technology. Um, but but and it was, you know, it was learning the hard way. You had to just jump in and do it. And we did a little bit of everything, really. We kind of modeled a little bit and rigged a bit uh, in a fairly basic way uh, and animated. Mm-hmm. But it was great because it was a small team, so it was quite rewarding um, creatively because you get to dip your toe in a lot of different uh, disciplines. Um, But then Disney were traveling the world looking for 2D animators that wanted to work in 3D. And they were sort of on this worldwide recruiting thing. And I got recommended by, uh, I think it was Doug Bennett Mm. passed on my name. And then Mm -hmm. I made a connection with Disney. And then I passed on Jason's name. And then
0: basically both started within a few weeks of each other. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, we had yeah. A, our first podcast. Actually, was with Doug. Doug's great. Great, yeah, animator. he's a great guy. Yeah.
3: And uh, the first, Fox the first fun. show we
2: worked on
0: was uh,
3: Tin Soldier, right?
0: That's right. That's right. That was great fun, actually.
2: And we were blessed. That was there was only like what seven of us on the team. It was tiny. It was, uh, seven of me. Yeah, ten, seven yeah. or ten in this tiny little place. That you, it's they turned it into the ARL, I think, years later. Um, in and the it animation was
3: animation research library. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, it was sort of halfway between the Disney main feature building and DreamWorks. Mm. And um, it was on Flower Street and it was this rundown building and the carpet was all rucked up. And, but it was great. It was just it was a real sort of strong uh, sort of team spirit.
0: And uh, we kind of left alone to get on with it. We had a good time. Now, how did you feel coming in over from working on that stuff to this has been your first feature? I was terrified,
2: to be honest. <laughs> I mean, you walk, you walk the halls of Disney and any of the big studios, obviously, and you see nothing but incredible artwork. Um, and particularly Disney, you see all these films that have gone back 50, 60 years and more even, and it's quite intimidating actually um, you know, you feel like you have to live up to that, but it's also it's kind of inspiring um, and you know, Glenn's right there and at the time you had Nick and you got um, all these big names Eric, just sort of going yeah. off to doing their thing it was kind of cool. Eric
3: Goldberg I mean, all yeah. the greats were there and then yeah. they had these chalk talks like they were going on as well, you know, where these great animators would come in and you know talk about how they uh, how they approach jobs you know and how they approach animation It was great amazing
0: now were you yeah. guys assigned any mentor or anything along that lines when you guys first got there yeah we were thrown in the deep end
2: uh, <laughs> at the time it was interesting not many 2d guys that were already there wanted to work in CG mm. and I think politically it was sort of it was an interesting thing um, Disney used CG to to do things that you that would be really laborious to do in 2d so crowd scenes you know like all the horses in Mulan, and the, the cg was great you know sequences for the time but it, the perception was that cg was there um cg animation was kind of like caps it was just taking a laborious job and making it you know less laborious really
0: okay um,
2: and we kept pushing for uh you know doing more and more full cg stuff um and we you know the, the door was open to bring you know we really wanted to get the 2d guys over all that amazing experience would have been great because most of us were you know we had well we had an animation experience we were still kind of trying to find our way you know we were literally kind of defining workflows in those first few years and um yeah. uh and it's funny because the 2d workflow has ended up being kind of the best workflow really I think jay is a great example of that all the stuff that he teaches is amazing there is mm. no better workflow really than to start with sketching and thumbnailing and blocking it out in 2d yeah it's the leanest way to work and it's still the leanest way to work so you know the, the principles are the principles; they haven't changed. Um, it just happens to be that you know we're using a piece of technology instead of a pencil.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there were seven of you guys that were just on the CG portion of Fantasia 2000. Yeah,
3: well, I was Art Soldier. Yeah, not on that's, Tim Soldier. Not yeah,
2: they, they did kind of like yeah, yeah. one sequence oh. at a time. Mm. So it took a, it took quite a few years actually to do Fantasia 2000. Um, but it, you had uh, there was Jay, myself, and Doug. Uh, were I think we were the only sort of guys from 2D as a background, everybody else, all the other animators were CG animators, but it was quite collaborative. They'd help us out, you know, learning how to use stuff and they showed us tips and we were showing them what we knew from 2D and mm. um, and, and then it started. What's nice about it is it started to influence the rigging, um, which showed up, you know, we did amazing things over the years, particularly kind of towards Chicken Little. And it, I think it's kind of influenced quite a lot of stuff in the industry uh mainly just by by doing stuff that you know CG guys don't I mean on the technical side the um the engineers at the time the riggers didn't like the idea of breaking rigs mm-hmm. and um it it was a difficult thing to get through you know but on 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 chicken we we had like major breakthroughs there where I kept saying look just make it so that they can do anything.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and and they're responsible, you know, they, let let them do it. And they were everybody was really tentative and there was a lot of nail biting. I'm like look just let them do it. And we gave this scene to, do uh, you remember Brian Ferguson, Jay? Yep. And he did that yeah, sort absolutely. of, um, yeah. yeah, he did a scene. And this is a right. guy that was, you know, he just learned CG. And he did this incredible thing. And he completely wrecked the rig. But it looked incredible. <laughs> it looked absolutely incredible. And um, Ramiro, I think, was our head of rigging at the time. He was sort of, he went, right, that's it. I get it now. Uh, now it looks great. And we'll just figure out ways to unbreak it. And then it, but it's so worth doing when you have really great, talented animators who are not afraid of it and don't have any baggage with it and they'll, do, and they'll push it really hard. Then, you know, and that's what happened on that show.
3: That particular shot was uh, the stork, uh, That's a right. baseball game, throwing a screwball. And his yeah. legs just kind of went all the way around his body, you know. Yeah. And it, it was a very, very 2D style, you know, action. You know, which it never really been done in CG before. So it was like, holy crap, how did he do that? You know, and he basically animated on ones, breaking it down so much that it turned into a 2D shot. You know, uh,
0: yeah. it was awesome. It seems like there's kind of been a little bit more of a, a pendulum swing back to some of that. I know with like Tangled and uh, Glenn's influence on there taking and pushing a lot of the CG into a more of a 2d kind of fill and look. It seems like we're kind of moving back more to that and being able to take, um, this rich history of 2d and bring it back into to CG.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it'll swing back another way again until it finds its place. I mean, you know, Glenn, you know, God bless him. Back when Tangled was Rapunzel, uh, you know, he wanted to do that as a 2d film originally. And then, um, the studio, it felt like, no, 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 we'll let you do it, but it's got to be CG. And he kind of resisted it for a bit, and then he kind of relaxed. But it took a while. And I think you know, one of the great things about Disney is that they've always had, you know, great support for rigging and technology, and, and giving the animators the tools they need. I mean, I've never experienced it since then. Mm. Um, I'm sure DreamWorks has a great reputation for it as well. But but it's they're, they're really committed to sculpting characters, not just moving skeletons around. Mm and um and that's really what you're seeing is is glenn's eye not just for 2d but for sculpting for shape and form and rhythm and all this gorgeous stuff that you see in his drawings and uh it's a major leap forward but i think making it look exactly like 2d is sort of well, why do that you know um i'm going I'm to see what 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 happens in the next 10 years
0: mm-hmm. yeah and that actually kind of brings up to a uh, question um i posted this on our members Community section, and this is from uh, Nicolette Kiss, and she says, as someone who's been in the animation industry for quite some time and experienced some of the evolutions, she gets kind of a two question here: What kind of changes do you see coming to animation in the future, and what qualities do you think animators need to maintain longevity in this ever-changing field?
2: I think that the um, the tools might change. You know, they're going to evolve. Things like Maya, you know, any custom stuff that studios run. They'll constantly develop, and you just have to stay on top of that. You're always learning new stuff, but workflow is really the key. I mean, you've got to root that in in some solid ground. And what Jay teaches is, like I said, it's probably the best workflow out there because it's doable. Anyone can do that, and you don't need fancy software to do it. It's just discipline, and the discipline is the key to f- getting your bad ideas out of your head uh, by by sketching quickly. Um, too many people in CG work. Um, you know polish the first pass particularly in the visual effects world um, and that's that's largely to do with the fact that they overwork something or they work things up too far too much and by doing that you invest a lot of time in something and then you're less likely to want to throw it away when that's exactly what you should do um, but when you're sketching you know and it's stick figures or um, or bouncing ball style stuff then you're not you're, it's not gonna you're not invested too much in it you know and you can try different ideas out quickly mm. Um, Before you commit to pushing something around in CG because that's where you have to take time and there's a lot of limitations still You know technical things like flipping and you know all this stupid stuff you have to deal with but it's real-world stuff Um, I think we're going to see a lot more um, interesting stylization as um, Photorealism starts to turn towards abstract design, but still feeling tangible Um, and I think movies like like Tangled for example um, they have a very two D look, but they don't feel like you could like they're real, like they're solid in front of you. And I think the I think the future is um, going to be uh, full of movies that are combinations of live action elements as well as um, digital characters. You know, the kind of thing that like Avatar to me was basically an animated film with little bits of live action at the start and end, but the rest of it is all CG. And yet people don't even think of it like that. They think it was all live action with a few CG characters put in, mm. but it's not and I think there's a huge world to be plundered um, uh, that breaks the mold and the expectation that audiences have when you say oh it's an animated film and I think the industry is sort of guilty of um, creating this creating its own market with limitations so when people hear oh it's animated they think it's a family film or it's a kids film mm-hmm. and they kind of bracket it before they've given the film a chance um, so I think breaking that mold is really important. And I think CG lets us do that because you can do so many different things with it. But I'd like to see more artistry involved and less less reliance on technology. Um, I think the technology kicks the crap out of the heart of a story. Or, you know, it doesn't always, all that time and effort doesn't always make it on the screen. Um, you need it, but there's got to be, you know, you, you can you can win people's hearts with a well-told uh, uh Story and you can manipulate them in other ways. So it doesn't have to be all about pushing pixels around And I think there's always a the danger with stuff particularly in my work because I work in visual effects um, Primarily now and it's uh, it's all about technology and it's all about being the first at something or doing something crazier than the last guy that did it you know? <laughs> And it's, that's still quite prevalent in the industry and it, and to me. It's like it gets to the point where people check out You know, they go. Oh, here's the big effect scene or here's here's something that couldn't possibly be real you know, 10,000 soldiers on a beach with a, with a camera move that couldn't possibly be, and they know, people's visual acuity and their, their sense of what's real is incredibly strong even though they may not be able to um, express it in technical terms people know when something doesn't look right mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's harder, it's getting harder and harder to fool people but I think a bit, a bit less extravagance in films and a bit more heart would go a longer way you know, and, and I see that being coming through in character animation in particular. And I think the future is, is for CG and for feature animation is definitely still in character and acting and performance. But I see, you know, other things going on. Like I was really impressed with Rango. You know, visually I thought, incredible. I love the look of it. Um, uh, and I thought, great, somebody's breaking the mold, trying something different.
0: A little bit even like um, Secret of Nim. you know? Yeah, yeah, Where it yeah. Where it was kind of that... It's different. Yeah, very different.
2: Yeah, so. and it, it opened people's minds up to, you know, different types of storytelling within that medium. Mm-hmm. And I think it's exactly the same thing. So I think that will happen. I think you've got to hang on to your, your craft, though, and always keep working on polishing it. And don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because, you know, let's say you're working in features today, but next year you want to, you know, you want to move somewhere or you want to try a visual effects type film. Don't give up the stuff that works. That will carry you through your whole career. The stuff you learn from, um, all the guys that I animate um, is priceless. You just, you know, that's that's your foundation for having a great career. Mm. And uh, no matter what anybody says, don't throw it away because that's what helps you, you know, get past the basics and into actually delivering a good performance.
0: How did you develop your workflow?
2: Kind of trial and error, really. Um, I can draw. You know, I'm not too bad at drawing. Um, it doesn't, it's not, I'd say it's just, that's not second nature to me and I have to work at it. Um, but I can do it and it's, it's, but the thing I I still struggle with, um, is overworking an idea. Um, so what I, my, my sort of, if I, if I think back through my path, I tend to abandon stuff and I'll go for a walk or, you know, I'm not getting somewhere. I'll walk away from it and I'll come at it from a completely different angle. Even if I don't believe it's going to work, I'll just try it. And it's sort of the discipline of saying, okay, don't overwork. Overworking something is just the worst thing you can do. You'll just kick the crap out of the idea, um, or it won't be fresh, and you won't be into it anymore. You've got to, you have, have to have a connection to it, and then spot that that element that works, and then hang everything off of it, and just sort of learn to commit. And I think one of the hardest things to learn in my career has been being able to look at your own work and go, yeah, that works, or that doesn't work. Um, that takes ages to learn I think and some people get it way earlier um, I think Jay got that right from the very beginning he, he can look at something no. laughing? <What? You know, laughs>
1: I'm always saying like I'm blind to my own work as well you know it's like <laughs> Like, it's only maybe four or five times in my life have I ever kind of looked at something and go, oh, yeah, that's working. That's great. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, I think, but, I, you're
2: know, not doing yourself a favor there. I mean, I, yeah. of all the animators I've known, you, you know when to, when you've when, when you pushed an idea um, to a point and it's working technically and it's it's doing its job and then yeah. you move on to the next phase and you know how to do that. And most people that's can't true. even get to that place and for years. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember working with Nick. Remember Nick Ranieri? Yeah. never yeah. had any confidence in his stuff, but it always looked amazing. Right, you know, right. It's something I, every I, artist I, I, wrestles with to, to varying extents, you know?
1: I had a theory about Nick and and some of the... I mean, he was one of these 2D guys, Nick Ranieri, uh, who, who basically did all their own in-betweens. You know, he yeah. he never had any confidence at any stage, you know, after his animation phase. So he would control every arc every sort of secondary action everything that could be animated he would control in his own 2d shots yeah. and he had the same kind of thing with a cg and that's why i think he he transferred over so well into cg yeah
0: well that's one of the things i know jason you've mentioned here is and i i think Eamon, i was listening to the uh, animation podcast that you did and you mentioned that that's kind of why you enjoy working in linear as well because you weren't letting the computer Dictate how you get your arcs and uh, yeah. overshoots and things like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, now I'm comfortable working in any curve type really because I can predict it now. Mm-hmm. I've gotten to know it. But the um, in the beginning, I think it's important not to let the computer make any pseudo creative decisions for you because they're not creative; they're just uh, smooth accidents. And,
1: yeah, they're happy accidents, actually. really. Yeah.
2: And what happens is <laughs> when you see something in between, smoothly with a little bit of a cushion and somewhere in it. You get romance by that and you think wow wow that's amazing look what i did <laughs> and then it's st- what it, it stops you making um timing choices and i think you know the, the computer will give you timing choices that are just in not particularly aggressive um and not particularly you know every everything will move more or less in the same way so i and you won't learn if you do that especially in the early part of your career so i tell people work linearly and then let's say you have a keyframe on frame one and your next pose is frame 12. Then, you know, if I want to put a favor in, I can, play, you know, I can let it animate linearly and I, it's completely predictable mm-hmm. at that point. I know exactly what it's going to do. So I can take my value at frame three, middle mouse that over like drag it across and drop it at six, which, you know, I've now created a, a cushion into 12. So, but I've decided what the value is and where it lands in the timeline. But if you, just, if you just let it in between on splines, it's going to give you an, some kind of wacky um, value that won't necessarily be the one that you want. So and, uh, and, and I learned this. I remember I worked on a TV show, a French TV show, and I, I had to work from home for about a month. And I had no line tester. So I did everything straight, drawings and charts, and I never got to see it until I ended up in the, in the TV show. Oh, wow. And, Yeah, so it really forced me to really think hard about my timing and make sure it worked. And it worked. And, you know, but on the computer, you take that ability away from people and you can really see who knows what timing is. But I like to understand the value of a single frame, you know, because it can make a huge difference Mm. for a subtle piece of acting or a blink or a move or something like that. But I think you've got to know timing and values, like moving values around. But try to make those decisions yourself early in your career and learn it and understand it. Then later on, when you're comfortable, yeah. You know, use whatever curves you like, but I think it's important in the early days to to try to understand how all well that feels and make the creative decisions yourself. To
0: learn that, and like you yeah. said, there you're you feel comfortable jumping into these other curves, but it's because you've had that background of learning.
2: I've got plenty of experience now, yeah. so I know they're predictable to me. Um, but generally, if I'm doing something small, I will still you know it's every show I've been on, I've switched curve types over to linear so I can, I can move values around and drop in favors myself um, or breakdowns, whatever you want to call them.
1: Yeah, I mean, in many ways, 2D is linear, if you yeah. think about it. You know, like you're literally drawing every arc or every favor or every slow you in. you dictate
2: absolutely. Yeah, you yeah, know? absolutely. I mean, if you
1: if you just had your pose at one and, and your next pose at 12 and you charted it evenly you gave that to an in-betweener, they would have exactly the same result is what the computer has, you know, yeah. until you say, well, no, I want this arc up here and I want the, the favor to be here and then chart it so that like the timing is there, you know, mm-hmm. then you're gonna get the result you want, you know? So it definitely, like it definitely, our 2D foundation definitely helped our transition into, into the computer in that way.
2: Mm-hmm. The other thing, I, another reason for it as well is, um, uh, is when you're learning CG for the first time, what I used to tell people was uh, don't touch the graph editor until the very end, and you, all you're going to do then is make sure you don't have any overshoots and, um, you know, you're not going to add any curves, you're just cleaning the curves so that there's nothing wacky going on um, that's going to blow out your motion blur, for example. Um, and the reason for that is it's this juggling idea, right? So when you learn to animate, if you have to grab the controls, move them around, set keyframes, do some other stuff, and then get into your curves and start messing around, as soon as you open the curve editor, you're, you start to kind of commit to motion, how things like translate from one position to another, rotate across varying degrees. But looking at a curve editor doesn't tell you jack, it doesn't tell you anything. You know, there's no emotion curve, there's no humor curve, <laughs> there's, there's no, no story curve, it's just data is all it is. And you, you, you know, you could look at the best scene in the world and open up the editor and it wouldn't, you'd, you wouldn't know if it was good animation or not. It might look clean, but it wouldn't tell you anything about the quality of the animation. Mm. And, and it's juggling, and it romance, it invites you in and goes, hey, play with me, look what you can do, you can do this, you can move my <laughs> handles, you can blah, blah, blah. And then you're not in the scene anymore. You should just focus on um, on posing, lines of action, all that stuff. The motions, the least of your concerns, you know, for me anyway. Um, I think in the early stages, when you're trying to learn this, stay away from it because it romances you, brings you in, and stops you focusing on strengthening your poses and making strong creative decisions about what your breakdowns and, and your favours are going to be. And then at the end, look at your curves and fix them up. Yes, they might be a mess, but it's relatively straightforward to clean them. Um, but if you start trying to juggle one and the other, um, it's really messy and difficult. And, and having said that, I've worked with animators that are completely comfortable in the graph editor and very fast and intuitive. And that's different. Those are people that are just au fait with that kind of way of, of, um, of seeing their work represented. But if you're, if you're more 2D oriented, I think it's just a bad thing. Uh, And don't worry if anybody yells at you for having dirty curves. It doesn't matter. (laughs) As long as it it renders properly. That's right.
0: The curves aren't what it displays on the screen, huh? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Now, this is great. What other advice do you usually give for uh, students or people who are still earlier on in their career?
2: I think, you know, there's everybody, every student, you know, and I've talked to hundreds of students um, and I go and do talks in um, UK schools and uh, and Europe in general, and they all want to work. You know, at Pixar, DreamWorks, Disney. They all want to work the big studios, and that's great. But you know, take whatever you can to get started. But then keep aiming where you want to aim. But you know, aim, aim your real. You know, to get the job you really want. Um, and if you end up in games, for example, or TV, or doing something interesting, but it's not exactly your dream. But you want to move to the next level. But your real is all games work then make sure that you you know you, you push yourself hard in your own time and do something that shows people at the next level what they want to see mm. um because it's very very competitive now i think you know 20 years ago there wasn't that many people doing cg and it was yeah uh, it was difficult to find people but you know there's students out there in every country now learning it and i think you've got to be diligent push yourself hard and make connections um, it's amazing to me. I do talks. This is a, this is this interesting thing. I'll do a talk, and I'll actually say in the talks, "This this is a great opportunity. You've got somebody in the industry right here doing a talk, me, right now." And I said, "It's great to come up and introduce yourself afterwards because I'll I'll remember you next time your real comes in. It's a great talk." And guess how many people come up afterwards? Out of two, three hundred people, maybe two. <laughs> They're so terrified. They're terrified. You know, they don't want to say something dumb. They don't want to you know look bad. I'm like these are golden opportunities you know and i guess you guys must do this as well all the time um but people just you know they're they're scared to ask silly questions and, and it's a shame but uh i mean you know back in the day jay you just couldn't get the kind of gold that you guys give away for free online you know what i mean the information yeah, uh, the experience yeah. methodologies We could you just couldn't get it back in the day and i'm still amazed at when people show up or you know a student will say oh how do i where do i get a rig i'm like do you have the internet for christ's sake just <laughs> yeah. do a search i mean the internet didn't even exist when i was doing this you know it just wasn't around you couldn't you had to make everything yourself like, you're blessed with all these resources um and it just comes down to whether you're disciplined or not to put the time and effort in mm. to do something with it um but you know it's i just keep telling people you animation is just the tool to t- towards telling the story you know we're always serving the needs of a story or the needs of a dramatic um condition in a movie or something that needs to move forward and it's just a device so how how can you how can you best serve that that master and um you know I see people doing uh you know just locomotion tests and i hate the term locomotion test because who cares, right? It's if I'm not being entertained, I'm not gonna. It's not a documentary we're going to be making here. It's it's a piece of entertainment. So do something that moves me in a way, or that connects with me, or makes me go, oh, I know that character, or I felt like that, or that's funny, or do something. But just moving things and saying, well, that's the way a real dog would walk. I'm like I don't care. Why is it walking? Is it walking to something? Is it walking because it's afraid? You know, think of it like that, and then put that story in, and now you've got something that's worth watching. Mm. Um, but we see, I get a lot of that in the visual effects world. It's, copying things and not understanding what the core idea was or what or how to make it entertaining or how to make it connect
1: right
2: Um, and that's really what to me it's what you know that's what makes good animation stand out is when you see a bit of story in there
1: yeah it's true it's like uh, those locomotion tests I mean they might be accurate you know accurate animation but who cares you know, it's like, yeah, but that dog there—that's not real. That's I animated that. And you're like, I don't care. It's like, why'd you just shoot it live action then? And it would have taken you know, five seconds.
2: Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Tell I, me what it's doing, or give me an insight into you know, how it feels, or or, um, or, you know, or tell a bit of a story with it. You know, but um, it doesn't happen enough. And I think there's, there's an awful lot of um, focus on uh, the technology and using the tools, and not enough on Simple stuff like storytelling and staging um, in Europe. Anyway, it's getting better. I will say, the college is getting better over here. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's sort of my take on that.
0: Mm. Yeah, I've shared this before on the podcast, so forgive me, anyone listening who've you've heard this before. But uh, we had a had a chance to visit Jamal Bradley when he was still over at uh, Disney, and he had this picture that I think he drew, and it was based upon a comment that he had heard from Glenn Keane. and I think ollie johnson or something had someone had told him that this and uh Glenn keen showing ollie his his work and he's like yeah it's you know it's good animation but it doesn't entertain me you know and that was the point was going it looks good but it doesn't do anything for me
2: yeah exactly yeah why why would you want to watch it you know yeah yeah Um, and equally you know you got to think about that when you're building your reel as well you know put the stuff that that's not just technical in there but you know Make sure it connects in some way and, and generates a response because that's what we that's why we do it.
0: You know? mm-hmm. OK, well, let's let's uh, transition in then to uh, your short beans, because we actually had a, a comment here from uh, Frank. and I can't. Jay might have to help me with his last name. Gashk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I think
1: so. Yeah. Australian guy, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. He's one of, he's been one of our longtime members. But he mm-hmm. says he thought it was a great video. He says, Why are gags like this perpetually funny? You know? And so this was <laughs> <laughs> so this was what you're kind of talking about here. There is something that just resonates here. Um, yeah. and so let's see. His question is Is an animator regarded as a technician with the creativity confined to the director slash storyboard shot? He says, or is a modern future animator, a creative storyteller that needs filmmaking understanding to communicate the story.
2: I think the latter. I think it's it's filmmaker. You just happen to be making it using this particular wacky medium that we call animation. Um, that that's the way I think. I mean, take all the technical crap away, and what have you got? Right? What have you got? If you're not you're not doing something that that people are interested in other than your mom. Cause your mom will watch anything you make. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's nice son. Good cookie. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, why, why would anyone care? You know? Um, so I think you've got to be a filmmaker and film film. Is all about manipulation, right? You're always manipulating your audience um, and making them take a journey. Hopefully it's one they want to take, but, and then, and then, you know, maybe challenging them or um, surprising them. Um, are exciting them or scaring them, whatever you're going to do, but you're manipulating them. And but nobody's going to watch your stuff just because you've spent years making it. It's got to have more to it than that. And you got, you know, that's the challenge. And w- with Beans, um, we set out. It's funny. The whole the whole thing came about was uh, uh, I've been at Synapse now for a year and a quarter. And when I joined, um, they had a, they'd been doing animation, but mostly filler stuff and visual effects, background stuff. Um, naturalistic creature, digi doubles, that kind of thing, but not, no sort of showcase Ray Harryhausen front and center scene stealing stuff. And um, uh, part of the, the the challenge and sort of the curse, if you will, of CG and visual effects or animation visual effects is I have to bid stuff, win that bid, make the stuff, do the shots, help make the film. When the film's done, it comes out. And sometimes I have to wait until it comes out on DVD before I can put that on my reel to win more work. And that can take a long time, and I thought we'll do that anyway. But uh, within a fir- I set myself a challenge within the first year of updating the company's real, and making everybody sit up and take notes. Mm-hmm. And I said, right, we're going to do that in a year. And I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. Um, so you know, I had I inherited a team, a really good team, a small team, and they're you know technical guys that've been doing sort of realistic visual effects work. So I said, right, we'll we'll keep it in that vein because that's what these guys are good at. But Let's push that and see if we can tell a story or do something creative um, that we own and we drive from scratch. Uh, so, you know, we start talking about doing shorts and we had a bunch of guys pitch ideas. I had a couple of ideas. So we're sort of generating these different things and nothing was sort of sitting right. I wanted something show. Everything was kind of massive destruction and, you know, spaceships and blah, blah, blah. I thought, right, it needs to be much simpler than that and have a bit of heart. And I thought, okay, well, let's do something funny. Visual effects is way too freaking serious for business. <laughs> and if you go to SIGGRAPH or you go online and you look at all these companies' reels, it's always got this sort of Inception stone music, and it's always really cool. You know, really cool and serious and seriously cool and cool <laughs> right? and serious. That's, and that visual effects is always like that. And I thought, oh, we've got to break the mold by, by doing something silly. Right, straight away. So uh I was talking to Elvise, you know, Vise um is an animator, he's an absolutely amazing creature animator. Um I first heard him over from uh uh, uh Weta to work on John Carter and he he was what I call the trailer guy. He does always all the sexy shots. Um he, you just get him in, he's just naturally amazing. And he, I put him right alongside Atsushi. at Sushi. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, at Sushi, yeah, he was fantastic he's, too
2: just just amazing. But he also has a kind of a cheeky Italian sense of humor that's kind of on the same plane as me. Sort of pull my finger style humour, you know. <laughs> and um and he said, Oh, I have this thing that I've been I've been doing. And he he had, he's a personal kind of um journey that he wants to make. He wants to become a commercials director in the long run. And um he had done a little side project on his own, sort of a Coke versus Pepsi thing that he did all on his own time while he was animating for us. And uh and he had this idea, and he showed us, showed me the idea. And I'm like, that's perfect. I love the commercial format because to me that meant there's a really strong discipline in telling stories in the commercial format. You've got a very strict sort of uh, time frame, remember. seconds to deliver your story, and mm-hmm. it makes you stick to it because the time frame. And you have to really, you know, ditch anything that's erroneous and, and only support that core idea. Um, and I loved the idea. And he, you know, he pitched it as a little animatic that looked like a cartoon. I thought, well, we could put. You know, I could take this whole company and put a massive amount of production value into this and show off everything we can do. And then also he gets to animate his giant creature, which he wanted to do. We I mean, a realistic astronauts do all this kind of stuff, make it look photo real, at least in the beginning. And and then turn everybody and surprise them at the end with the gag. Uh-huh. And I thought that's doable in a year. We don't need a huge team. And, you know, when we talked about it and because it, it was his idea, I thought, right, what you direct it. You go ahead and do that and he, that's what he did and I supported him and I took on the role of producer because I figured okay I'm gonna protect this and being you know I've done enough shows as a manager now to I figured I'm either gonna direct something or I'm gonna produce something and I thought well we've got the direction figured out um, and you didn't need two directors on that so I thought, I'll take a back seat on the creative side and let him do his thing and I'll just make sure that we get the right resources and support it and um, and that's what I was able to do so that was that was how it came about um, it took about six months to deliver that and we fit it in around uh, a bunch of the movies we were finishing uh, World War Z um, we were doing uh, what else we're doing we're still doing Edge uh, of Tomorrow to Tom Cruise uh, movie comes out I think in the summer uh, Jack Ryan 300 Rise of an Empire um, a whole bunch of stuff Robocop um, and you know we're just doing this in downtime um, so it took longer than it would have if it had been a dedicated project. I think it start to finish. We probably could have done it in about three months, but it took about six months and, um, people just sort of drifted on and off. What was really cool as well is I wanted to, to make everybody feel like they're making something that that was ours, mm-hmm. not just working on somebody else's film, but this is our film. And I, I know from, I know, and it's something that I miss actually from my Disney days is feeling more involved in the creation of a story is hugely rewarding. And you don't get that as much in visual effects uh, i did on uh john carter because i worked right next to um uh the director and uh you know i had a lot of say in how those characters looked and behaved in that movie um but it's not always like that in visual effects and this was a, sort of important to me to get everybody in the team to feel that so it was you know we had a lot of people had creative say uh certainly in their own disciplines and everybody put their heart and soul into it and really enjoyed it and really proud of it and we had a we had a great, great time making it. We just threw a lot of stuff at it, you know, and we didn't come up with new technology cause we didn't need to. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to sort of waste our time and efforts doing that. I just wanted to just, you know, make something that was well animated. Um, and, and then put some, lots of what, you know, stuff that we put into these films, like World War Z, just realistic, great looking production values, great effects, cool monster, realistic spaceman, all that stuff. We know we can do that. And, um, and it did, and it's, got, it's made, I think, seven, almost seven and a half million views on YouTube since it's come out. Um, we've had all kinds of people from the advertising world calling us up saying it's the best ad for a product that doesn't exist oh, ever. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just love the silliness of it. I love the silly ending.
0: Well, I, I think it being so visual effects-ish, I think that's what helped the payoff at the end. You're yeah. expecting this. You know, seri- like ultra seriousness, like you mentioned, yeah. um, and then with that payoff at the end, I think that's just what helps sell it. You know,
2: it, it takes it right back to earth. You know, um, and kids watch it and enjoy it. And it was it was tricky because it, it's quite violent. Yeah. You know, yeah, the monster shows up, and just you know, to, to tell the story, you needed not just to kill the astronauts, you needed to utterly destroy them, <laughs> so that when the last guy shows up, you get what's at stake. <laughs> so, but when you do that, you have to be careful. If he tears a guy in half. And flings him away and um, we wanted to make sure it's not blood or no you know um, Detroit is hanging out you know and no kind a of string of sausages hanging out from his Mortal <laughs> and, combat huh yeah and we there was a point actually you know during it we, we were able to cover up a lot of it with the dust and effects and and so you it still feels really violent but it's not I don't think it's gross but when the guy gets ripped in half um, our texture artist Nicola was saying oh I found some reference and she showed me some really horrible stuff she found. <laughs> on Google. And I'm like, you can't, we can't do that. That's just, that's just, you know, shut that down. That's not even safe work, you know. Um, so Alvise went away and he came back after lunch and he said, here, use this. And he'd found a picture of a giant plate of Italian deli meats. There was salami, pepperoni, <laughs> just folded meat, you know. It was delicious, it looked delicious, <laughs> and that's what we used. We literally just took that and stuck it inside, and from the distance, you can't tell. <laughs> but that astronaut is made of rather delicious uh, curia. Um, that's funny.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was so successful, like the feeling that you got from that guy's fart. You knew that was really tight.
2: <laughs> it was, And you know what? It was, it, we, we agonized over the sound. <laughs> and it's the hardest thing but but once we got the sound right and Alvisi found it and he found it at the sound effect and we bought it and stuff and he's like we knew that's exactly it we can't sound horrible didn't want to sound like there was too much moisture in it it <laughs> sound right but it was more like an anxious toot you know <laughs> and it worked but once we got it everybody laughed and that was it but it is you can get gross with that stuff
0: really easily we didn't want to do yeah. it we want people to laugh
1: it's, yeah it's almost like farting in church or something like
0: that <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. just trying to hold it in on the wood yeah. bench you
1: know
0: it's like at
2: my age like you know people have said oh was that you you must have done that I'm like I'm 48 dude I haven't too that high a note in years <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: sound like an old wallet being opened <laughs> Roy Creek is what it is. But yeah, we had great fun doing it, and we got to work with a company called Molinair. I have to give them a shout because we don't do sound and stuff. So it was we we hooked up with these guys, and they you know they gave us their services for free, and they're like, yeah, this is great. But they wanted to get involved in something creative as well. Oh, and, um, and they have a sound engineer, and he was like, yeah, well, I'm not gonna. He changed every other sound we gave him. We gave him a bunch of scratch stuff. And he redid it and except the fart. He said we're not changing that because it's <laughs> absolutely perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah, <but. laughs> yeah, and he did. It's insane what the sound guys can do. Like all the impacts he did by flicking his finger on a piece of polystyrene packing. Oh wow! Wow! And then adjusting it, and you know, and crazy. Um, and yeah, so we had a great time doing it, and it was. Um, uh, but the, it was interesting because once we, you know, once the animation was blocked in. Right from the beginning, it never really changed. It was like we just kept forward polishing it and just tweaking it in little ways. But it was clear to, to – I learned about it from from a story standpoint, even though there's not a lot of story there, was it's it's telling a joke. It's a knock-knock joke, right? When I say knock-knock, yeah, yeah. somebody says, who's there? And right. they know immediately there's a – it's now not me just telling a story. Now there's you're involved in this and, you know, you get – you, you get to take part in that sort of conversation. And with this, it's almost the opposite of it. So we figured within the first four seconds, you have to get exactly where you are. You have to know 100% where and when you are. So you have to be on the moon. And then, you know, it's it's astronauts. So when they plant the flag, it's an American flag. And uh, towards the end, we were looking at, we, you know, all of the astronauts have a badge, have a crew badge, mm-hmm. and all of the NASA astronauts have different crew badges, and we researched it, and we made our own one. And generally, you've got the name of each member of the crew around the badge, and we, so, you, you can't see it in the movie, but we know our names are on every astronaut. No, it's great. sort of a cool that thing. And the last guy at the end has a flag, that's an Italian flag, and we put that on because Elvise, the director, is Italian. Uh-huh. And everybody's saying, oh, it's a Chilean flag, it's the Irish flag. It's an Italian flag because the director's Italian. That's it. It doesn't mean anything more than that. But somebody said, oh, let's make the flag Italian. And I said, no, you cannot do that because that changes the context of the opening of the story. Mm. And it would make it would make people go, what the? And they'd focus on the flag because you've never seen anything other than the American flag on the moon. Mm. Good point. And there Good point. May, the other ones there, but, you know, popular culture, it has to be that flag. So you very quickly learned what to, what to hang your hat on, idea-wise and visually. So the first three, four seconds, you're on the moon, has to be photoreal. And we, we studied um, thousands of pictures of reference of astronaut suits. We chose a, a suit that was a combination of the shuttle suit and one of the suits from the moon, just because we liked the look of it and they, and they had straps on them. And we figured adding the straps gave us a little bit of um, overlap, which helped sell the idea of the gravity on the moon um and just for that just for that overlap i think you need sometimes need that especially for slow motion stuff and um and then you and then we turn the story on its head it's uh it's got to be you know it's first of all it's a giant space lobster where's that coming from and then he's destroying everybody and you you're just just catching up with each of these ideas Mm -hmm. uh and then as the camera pulls back and reveals the last guy it's literally (laughs) one pose that has to say i'm hiding uh and then you know the gag is delivered, and it's just the timing of it. And once we got it, we were like, absolutely, that's it. We didn't change it.
0: Yeah.
2: It's just finishing it and adding more and more detail. But it was, yeah, it was great. Great fun. And it was, um, uh, it's nice to see lots of people get it. Although I'm absolutely stunned at uh, YouTube comments like, you can't hear a fart in space. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they dislike oh. it. That, but seriously? <laughs> You know, probably the giant lobster <laughs> That's
0: the guy. I <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but how would that monster hear him? I'm like, what? there's a monster in space. you guys yeah. get that, right? <laughs> uh, oh, unbelievable.
1: I remember an uh, on Tin Soldier, you know, we, we were talking about this. It it was such a funny idea to us. Like, I mean, it seemed like a very serious, heartwarming story, you yeah. know, about this yeah. tin soldier that falls in love with what he thought was a one-legged ballerina. You
2: know? <laughs> yeah, <And> so then... <laughs> you got a guy with one leg. He spots a girl, and from a particular angle, it looks like she only has one leg. And he thinks, wow. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody mentioned it. That's her other leg down that he didn't see. He's disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> laughing at this and go this is the most twisted story <laughs> we've ever seen but nobody questioned it, it's crazy right, right,
1: right. <laughs> but I remember the, there used to be like cartoony rats remember that? like in the yeah, very it was like, no, no, push the bottle like let's knock over the tin soldier. Well, I mean, nobody knew where they came from, but it was just kind of funny. And then yeah. Roy Disney came in and said, No, no, it's gotta be more serious, so they get put realistic kind of cartoony rats in there, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh man.
0: Crazy. Crazy. Well, you guys <laughs> nailed it on the the photo reel with the astronauts. I was I had shown this to my dad and he was he actually thought they were green screened in with the monster.
2: Yeah, yeah, we found a lot of people say, Oh, that was did you you know? they
0: realistic realistic yeah
2: yeah we went to the moon you know brought a <laughs> lot of <green. laughs>
0: now I noticed that you also animated on this one here it shows on the credits that you animated yeah so
2: so basically we had a team of about eight people uh, Alvise, um you know he really wanted it. it's one shot so it made sense for him to do it and he spent a couple months just blocking it in refining it um, and then he wanted to focus on the monster and all the details of it so what we did was we designed a rig um, that had two inputs to it so we it was his animation rig which was super fast and very just very lean and stripped back but it was just what he wanted and then i worked on a muscle version of the rig so we could have written a muscle system but i'm not a big fan of doing that for one shot i'd rather just do it by hand because you can totally control it exactly the way you want um if we're doing 100 shots or 200 shots that built an automated system um but the um so i said all right i'll do the muscle stuff you focus on the performance and I'll support that and then we'll figure out how we'll do the astronauts later, I'll do them with you or whatever. Um and he wasn't precious about it. He just he wanted to get get everything in there, um, all his hooks, all his story points. And towards so I was able to work on muscles. You know, he would change his animation, I could update it. Five minutes later, I've got his animation and I can work. And it doesn't break anything that he's doing. And in tandem we were able to develop things. Um so I just supported him really. Um, but then at the end we, you know, we broke out each astronaut to do a cleanup pass, and we brought in the rest of the team, and they spent a few days on it and just finished that stuff off. Um, uh, and then we did um, procedural passes and cloth passes and stuff on the suits just to sort of sweeten it um, before we sent it on its way. But, uh, yeah, it was it was just a collaboration. Basically, you kind of roll up your and do whatever it takes. Uh, but basically, what I really wanted to do was free up Alvisay to spend as much time Doing the monster and the and the and the, the storytelling is possible. Uh, so that was sort of the role I took on. It was just support, really.
0: So, do you are you still getting to animate much these days?
2: <laughs> I don't get to animate as much. It depends on the show. Um, the bigger the team, the more you end up sort of going from meeting to meeting. Um, uh, smaller shows, hopefully, you get to do it. But uh, I quite enjoy the managing of it now. I get I get kicks out of it. There was a while there where. I didn't enjoy it, or it was hard to, or it was hard to enjoy it because it's, it's not as rewarding as finishing a shot and having it look great and have somebody say, I love that and move on to the next one. Um, I don't really get my kick until it's completely in the can. And that's how I do my job. But i found ways over the years to sort of enjoy that process. So, so nowadays I try to look after the crew's health. That sounds weird, but I try to give them the most opportunity to do their job and what they do. And if I can do that, then my effort shows up in the end product. Scene by scene, because they get to animate and do the best job they can. Uh, keep them focused. Keep them uh, looking out for the right stuff and not noodling them on details. Uh, anyone that's worked for me will know the way. You know, I I, I'm, I don't like to be the backseat driver and stuff, but I like to challenge people's ideas into what what the shot is about. And make sure that they're thinking about what's best for the movie. And it's different ways, and you have to kind of I I'm the I'm, I'll adapt to people, and I don't expect people to to change everything they do to fit me i'll try to adapt to help get the best out of them and i think that that has worked for me over the years um and that's and beans is a good example of that so obviously needed to be just doing that monster stuff and he needed a long time at it he needed to work right up to the wire so i built everything around that to support that and, and we did it so yeah and i that's how i get my kicks and i'm good with that so eamon uh you
1: you left uh disney like it was right after chicken little right and then uh, yeah. went back to London, right? To, uh, That's right. Double negative.
2: Back now about probably eight, nine years,
1: something like that. Right. Mm. And double negative was the the first.
2: No, stop, um, no, I went to work for EA for a little bit. Oh. Uh, they're just outside London, and I did about six months with them. I went and did a talk, and then they jumped on me and went, "Oh, can you come in and um, and be our animation director?" And I said, "Yeah," and I went out, and it was it wasn't for me. Great company. They really looked after people, but that particular kind of work wasn't I didn't get a reward from it and it was uh too far away from where I lived and a bunch of stuff that just made me feel like you know what I'll I'm not too happy about it and then I got a call from um Egg, uh, DNEG we're looking for um an animation uh head of animation for their company and uh they were committed to it or at least that's that was the story back then and uh so I went in and we started with a team of seven built it up to a team of 120 wow years. wow yeah I mean most of that was in the last few years for John Carter but um what was cool about that was you know I was able to pitch, you know, scripts would come in and like Guillermo's Hellboy Two came in and I'm like, I you know, we have to work on this this guy. I don't care what he's written, I don't care what the movie is, it's a chance to work with somebody really creative, it's gonna be really good for us. And they went, Okay. So I was supported, so I had a quite a lot of say in the projects that we did. Um uh and then, you know, the company it grew an awful lot and animation became less important to them so i felt you know i pitched that i wanted to do um feature animated films uh, or our developer on content at the very least and it wasn't something they're particularly interested in so i started looking around Cinesite came up and said yeah we're really keen to broaden our horizons and try the things and um and they offered me the position of head of the company or head of the a- anim- animation of the company but i'm also a director in the company um so it was a great offer and you know i've got huge support and a great team of people that i can you know do things like beans with that's awesome that's no, fantastic yeah,
1: yeah. Mm. and you had this other short that you're kind of making like on chicken little uh to do with oh, star trek
2: yeah i've still got it yeah i've not come back to it yet but i've got all that stuff um i think when the time is right i think i'll, I'll reopen that it was um,
1: fantastic because uh for those you know i mean Amon was a big star trek fan and he does like the the perfect William Shatner impression. That <laughs> <laughs> was perfect, you know? Got them <laughs>
0: So we know who will voice it then, huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would be me. Would be me. <laughs> hey, real quick, speaking of double negative, uh, I put, when I mentioned I posted this on our site, David Hubert, he said, I loved working with Eamon. He said he was my suit bat double negative. So he says to say hello.
2: Oh, yeah. We used to call him Pooh Bear. <laughs> <laughs> Great animator. Great, great animator. He came in on Hellboy and did a great job. I'm really glad to see his career take off. Yep. Um, yeah, super nice guy to work with. Yeah, say hi right back.
0: All right, right, will do. I'm sure yeah. you'll listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So now you also mentioned you've got some other shorts. You said Beans is Cinecite's first in-house content creation project, and yeah. I'm sure it won't be our last. So have you guys got some other ones in the pipeline or at least ideas that you think?
2: Well, we're, we're going to do at least one a year, no matter okay. what. Um, I mean we were really busy last year uh, a lot of stuff wrapped up just before Christmas and now it's starting to ramp up again but it's amazing how much you can get done when you're busy mm. um, so I learned a lot about how to how to get extra stuff out of people when they're pulling their hair out on other stuff and, <laughs> um, so, but but yeah we're just committed to, to doing it um, I'd like to have it animation driven but I'm open to pushing other things into the forefront if it's creative and it's, it's, it's something that people get a kick out of um uh the uh we have lined up a bunch of ideas uh some of them you know it's for me it's great if it tells a great story motivates people but also drives us forward in other ways so if if it's uh struggling our first system a little bit or pushing something maybe we haven't done before um you know if it feeds the visual effects side great um so i've got you know i have got probably six or seven different ideas i can't talk about any of them yet because right. we haven't picked them um but equally um i'm starting to get in touch with really creative people directors who are out there who are trying to pitch their own ideas mm. and we might use the resources to help them develop their movies you know just to help get money in the door to get that movie off the ground and if it helps that director get the movie made and when we can get something out of it in in terms of developing ourselves uh, as storytellers and as filmmakers then great you know It's all collaboration at the end of the day.
0: Now, is this kind of a a bit of an analogy, what you guys are doing, that an animator should be doing, uh, doing their own kind of stuff outside of maybe the studio or something along that lines? It seems to kind of push you guys both technically as well as artistically.
2: Yeah, I think it's always good. But artistically, I think, is the key. It's always got to come first. I mean, the technical stuff, we need to do that. But that's, you know, again, what's the point if it's not to entertain uh, or deliver some grander idea. Um, so I think I'd be wary of telling, particularly students, if anyone's looking to get into the business. I wouldn't focus too much on developing highly rendered and effects-driven stuff. You know, just tell your story in the simplest way, in the clearest way possible. Uh, I even say, don't even bother lighting it. Play grey, shaded play blast is fine if I'm, if it communicates an idea. Um, but keep it clear and simple and stage it well so I get it. Um, and I think if if you're pushing yourself, you're in in the industry. I think develop. I find developing complementary skills like drawing, painting, photography, filmmaking. Those are great things to have because they challenge the way you look at stuff. And um, and storytelling in filmmaking is really really difficult to do. Um, and I think if you know if, if you're going to do a piece of animation for yourself, then yeah, why not make a short film? Beans was was actually the story of it was really oh, just about the timing, getting the timing right. But all the things that happened in that movie, relatively straightforward to figure out. Mm. We kept it as a single camera because it made it made the most sense. It was a little trickier to do that way because you couldn't split the work up, but um but we just committed to it and and then followed through and just added lots of cool stuff. But there's so many cheats in that film as well. Things you'll never know. Like there's only muscles facing the camera. We didn't act and, and anything that you can't see that's facing away. Mm. Um, uh, the background is a, is a photograph, a high resolution photograph of the moon with foreground that was modeled. It's displaced stuff. We've got five or six different, um, particle passes, and then we hand animated ro- larger rocks because it didn't feel big enough. Um, but we also wanted to kind of draw your eye to certain areas. And we found that, you know, effects are just very, very hard to art direct. You can do it, but it just takes a long time. And we didn't have a lot of time. So we just, you know, covered stuff up with, with hand-animated rocks and bits and bobs just to either distract you or draw your right eye into the right place. Nice. Um, yeah, little things like that, are just tricks to keep you focused on what you should be looking at. And right. there's errors all over the place that in the end that we you know kind of either paint fixed or um, are covered up in different ways, but that just happens. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's sleight of hand, you know? It's just like a good magician doing a street card trick. You know, he's making you look at the hand that's not, that's not holding the card. Well, the other hand's doing something that, you know, doing the magic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, misdirection, you, you might call it that, um, whatever. But filmmaking and storytelling is exactly the same thing. It's just manipulation. But you're using visuals, you're using audio, you're using um, story points, using the edit itself and the juxtaposition of shots to make you think a certain way or feel a certain way. It's quite complicated. It's really like juggling with a lot of stuff in the air. And that's quite a challenge. And if you can master that, then you can add, I think, a lot more sophistication. It just develops your storytelling right. as an artist. But I think just focusing on animation is a mistake. Do other things. It broadens your horizons, broadens your scope, changes the way you look at stuff, and challenges the way you work.
0: Yeah, just I know from Jason's demos that he does weekly. I mean, here's a guy who animates all day in the studios, but still at the a Friday he loves to animate. And it's, I know he's mentioned before that's because it's his own stuff. He gets to kind of be creative in that uh, realm.
1: But also, I mean, it serves another purpose as well, because, like, in the studios, you don't really get to pick the shots that you animate. You know, you're kind of given the shots, you know, so it may not be pushing you creatively like Gaiman's talking about. So I like to do shots that I'm not able to do in the studios, you know, whether it's, like, a really subtle acting shot that I'm doing now, you know, I don't really get to do a lot of those in the studios. They might might throw, like, a, a ton of crowd action shots, you know, that I've got a choreograph or dance or whatever it is. You know, so this really helps like for any professional or anybody doing anything. Like always try and push yourself creatively.
2: You yeah. Know? Doing the things that you haven't done, I mean it's great good for your career in general. You know, just show some range. Try different things. Try different styles. Mm-hmm. It's a very good thing to do. I think though to that point as well, it's Jason's unusual. He's the terminator of animation. He really is. <laughs> <He's great>. Um <laughs> we'll keep going on it. But you know, not everybody you know, has that the, the bottomless, well, of passion that he has. Yeah. For and I, sometimes it's good, I think, if you, if you feel tired or weary of it, or you're down on it, go do something else creative, because it, it all adds to the same pool of skills. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think in visual effects in particular, actually I think it's probably the same in, in cartoon animation or feature animation, is half of the battle is, is like knowing how to look at something, like look at a piece of reference and take it apart in your head and only pull out the things that are important. And that that's a skill that takes years, I think, to develop, and it's a really good thing to have. Because I'm always telling people, just use reference. Start with reference. It's a good place to start. Don't just make it up. If you make it up, you'll won't always, you know, you, you'll it might lead you down a, ba- a bad path, and you'd be surprised at how much sophistication there is in the real world, or how challenged you'll be by an idea when you see it for real. And particularly in VFX, B- where it's supposed to be more photoreal and f- and feel more naturalistic. So we always start with with stuff like that. Um, and people are lazy, and they don't do it. And I always regret it. And the people that use the reference, but, you know, they, but know how to take it apart and know how to uh, pull the right idea out of it. Yeah. That's, I mean, you don't
1: have to be a slave to the live action no. reference, but like you're pulling like, like the essential elements that really kind of give it that spirit, right. The energy.
2: Exactly. But it, it, I think it does take real skill to know how to take something apart and go, all this other stuff doesn't matter. There's no entertainment value in it. It might look kind of interesting, but it doesn't add to the idea. But this line of action does, or the way he drags his feet here or, You know, little things like that add to the emotional need in your story or or whatever it is you're trying to tell. But but being
0: able to dissect something is really, that's a skill. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have it. No, (laughs) no. I
1: mean, don't sell yourself short either, yeah.
0: It's years. Now, having worked in high-end feature film, what are you enjoying about visual effects and what do you feel like are the struggles for you?
2: Um, That's a great question. I think one of the things I enjoy is the quicker turnaround um so in the last year we've done you know robocop for example we came in quite late on that just to help them out and it was really just a few weeks but it was cool to be a part of something um
1: uh i actually just saw the preview for that uh, last night i went to see american hustle and then yeah the yeah for robocop look cool look wow look at
2: that mm-hmm. the director's really cool yeah we we, we we didn't get to see any of the screenings of the film so that's i that's the downside of it sometimes in effects you don't get to be you don't really feel like you get to see the whole film, whereas when you work in feature, for example, you're always kept up to date with the movie, and, and yep. you know where you stand. Um, uh, but in visual effects, when you're a client, when you're a service facility, you don't get shown the whole thing; you get shown piecemeal. So I do miss that aspect of it. Um, on some films, you get really close to the director, like John Carter. I was on set, and uh, we we're writing at the beginning, we we're designing, we we're you know building everything, and then right through right till the end, I was sort of first on, last off and had, had quite a strong say in that movie or in the animation of it. And that and it felt like an animated film. It felt exactly like I was back at Disney. Um, so that was great. The, um, and other films, I'm, I don't really get a, a strong connection with, but the quick turnaround is nice because you get to try something and then it's over quickly. Um, and no matter how hard it is, it's, you never kind of lose your passion for it. It's um, the energy is always high. And and you finish with energy, and then you're onto the next thing. So that's kind of nice. Mm. Sometimes features can go on a long time, and um, I think Chicken Little was for me it was four and a half years. Yeah, a long time. That was a long, long time. I mean, after two years, you are kind of making excuses up to show up now. You know, it's like <laughs> it's going to be good today. It's going to be different. You know, as well. That now, was what,
1: crazy because like the story changed like after we were changed, yeah. in production. You know, and it
2: was <clears> that is really challenging to to keep your. um the the bowl of passion juice going you know that's that's yeah. a tough one but it was great. I mean the team was great and everybody was awesome it's just the length of the show was draining um, that was
1: also challenging because remember you you came up with the the animation boot camp yeah you know to, to train sort of like 2D animators to, to try and get into CG
2: that's right we did that I did that for 18 months you know wow. we took they wanted to take all the 2D guys and invest in them and give them an opportunity to become CG animators and a lot of them made it over but I looked, you know I set that, you know, drove that basically, and, and taught a lot of those guys, uh, and that was still was cool, rewarding. But that's a long time that you're not making a film, and it's a different sort of reward with that than uh, than working on a show. But it worked out well. A lot of the guys came across and did a good job, and
0: the movie looked cool. So, what are some of the challenges you find in VFX?
2: In visual effects, sometimes like we had a meeting the other day. I can't say what the movie is or who the director is or anything, but. Um, <laughs> We get a lot of people in the industry saying, you know, the director doesn't like CG. <laughs> and yet, there's no freaking way they can make this movie without CG. Sit right? <laughs> in space or in this other world. And stuff like this. <laughs> I'm like, well, frankly, I don't That's care. That's a challenge. Yeah. No <laughs> anymore. I don't, you can't say that anymore. You know, what, what they're saying is, I don't like bad CG. That's what they're saying. Yeah. You know, and. But every movie has CG in it. People don't even realise mm-hmm. what's going on. Every single movie, even the cheap ones, have CG. Um, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And um, and the, the the quality of CG overall is shot through the roof now. Um, you think about you know CG feature animated films are being made. You know for a little or no money, they're getting better and better. It's only a question of time before you know the market's flooded with stuff. But it's it's. Um, I it's just. It really annoys me when people go. Oh, I just don't. I don't really like CG. Well, don't do it then. Don't use it. Do it practically. <laughs> Build that set. You know. I'd like to see you do it. <laughs> um, but um, so does that. And sometimes you have to tailor your um, your uh, approach to something to one person's ability or inability to understand the technology or their trust with it. And that's quite difficult. Other times it could be inspiring and difficult. Like so, um, Christopher Nolan, for example, he wasn't a fan of CG, and he liked to shoot things practically. But he would, he would shoot them practically, and 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 I think his films are better for it. So that I think it was a, a Batman movie where the um, there's a truck that upends in the middle of the street and flips right out He did that for real, mm. um, and it you know takes a lot of time and effort to do that. And he could have done it in CG. But the fact is, he's, you know, he's committed and he will make his film less visually extravagant if it means he can shoot it for real. And I think that's why his films look cool. Um, and he he does use CG sparingly. But, you know, equally, there's people that come in and go, oh, yeah, but I want an army of, you know, 500,000 soldiers on the beach. But I don't really like CG. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, you know, call up your friends, call up everybody now, you know, let's get them down to the beach, you know. <laughs> it's going to be a long day um, but yeah there's a lot of that so um, and then sometimes there's a push on a film uh, again I'll talk, I'll talk about another film where somebody came in and said okay we're going to do this film how how would you do this how would you I want to create these little tiny people um, how would you do it I'm like well I do it like this do it like this and I typically would push for a less technical way to do it because the technical I've always found that technical approaches mean there's a chunk of your budget that just will not show up on screen um and as if you've if you've got less than a certain amount of money so paul for example we did a film called paul um with simon pegg and nick frost and they didn't have much money but they wanted had this really cool script with this alien voiced by seth rogan i said let's animate it and um and they're like well What about motion capture? I'm like, that's fine. But what if your actor isn't around in six months and you want to reshoot something? You're making a comedy. You're going to need to edit this as you go along. And you want to tweak it and and dial it in. I said, I'll keep the animators around. You can keep firing it back to them. They'll they'll work up those shots for you. But mocap is really, really expensive to go back, redo it. It has to go all the way back through the pipeline. And it's an abstract. It's not apples to apples. You're not taking a digital person and making a copy of them. You're making a version of them that looks shorter, bigger head, different face, that means you need an artist to interpret that. So you're always going to need the animator, always. And uh, it, Simon was really open to it. He said, yeah, I've, you know, I don't want to do a green screen. I want to shoot quickly on set um, with a stand-in or somebody feeding me lines. He said, because he, he'd just come back from uh, Tintin, where he'd done a lot of mocap, And he said it was really, the movie was cool, he said, but it's really uninvolving for him as an anime, or as an actor because he shows up on a green set. So there's nothing to react to. He doesn't know where he is. You know, it's green. It's a green warehouse. And he said, everybody's kind of not excited by it. So when you're on set for real set, you know, places on fire or whatever it is, it's you get a reaction from that. Mm -hmm. And he told me a story about um, uh, a scene in Hot Fuzz. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie or not. But in the end of it, he faces the villains in the movie. And he he's in a He's in a room. or no, sorry. He's outdoors. and He runs up and there's a shot looking at him and then it's a shot looking at this table full of people uh in kind of gowns i'm giving you the movie away here but um he said when they shot the like all of the actors and they shot his reverses the shots on him the next night they let, they let the actors go and he said they brought in some amateur dramatics people who weren't very good to read the lines so that he could react to it and he said that's the performance i hate that's my worst performance because of the quality of the actors that were reading back to me they weren't as strong as you know, he saw about reaction. If they'd had the real actors there, would have been more in the in the zone. And uh, and frankly, I look at it, I think he did a great job one way or the other. But he was less. It, I learned a lot about that actually, about you know not letting technology get in the way on the set. Let the actors do what they need to do, and uh, and get out of their way, and then deal with the technology a bit separately. So John Carter was like that. We talked about doing on-set mocap and you know all this really cool cutting-edge stuff that would have gotten us in into siggraph and cinefx and all this other cool stuff but if it gets in the way of the actor doing his thing it's not worth it it's just not worth it you want the actor to do it capture that on film and then that's what you're going to reference and that's exactly the way we did it and and luckily um andrew Stanton, he understood that he completely understood it and i just basically kind of stepped out of his way we would talk about if something's going to work or not or where we're going to put the tharks but because he was an animator himself he was able to uh make informed decisions and move forward really quickly. But we just tried to keep a very light footprint on set on that movie and it worked out great. So yeah, I'm, I'm less in favor of technology. It's good if you're doing lots of big stuff, but yeah, I, I, you know, from an animation standpoint, it can get in the way.
0: Mm.
2: That's where the frustration comes from me sometimes.
0: What about working with directors in VFX? I know uh, that's kind of been an issue sometimes in feature film. If you've got a director who's had some animation background it's a little bit easier to work with them they can understand seeing things and stepped and stuff the biggest, the biggest issue is
2: uh, a live action director almost all of them are not used to seeing things gray shaded or stepped and they can't give you a reaction to it and we had that on Paul um, with the editor not so much the director but they they, they would get distracted by poses and, um, and it's tough and you just have to either do it or educate them but at the end of the day you generally have to do it in a way that makes it easier for them to see. And it, it's tough because the very thing you want your animator to do, you can't do. So they can't work rough anymore. They have to polish before they show anything. So they start getting really committed. And, um, and it's difficult then to get them to throw something away and do it over. Um, and, you're, and the way you spend your time is different. So the, the workflow, you kind of have to adapt it. and it, it's, it's a challenge. It really is.
1: The more time you spend on something, the more possessive you're going to get, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I try to do my 2D quick pass because I'm not going to get possessive over something that I spent 20 seconds on. You yeah. know, you're just going to go, no, that doesn't work. All right, toss it, you know. And that way you can, you can really explore different avenues of acting or performance or mechanics or whatever it is that you're doing, you know, relatively quickly, you know. Even if you're not an artist, like, you can draw, like, a line of action. You can draw a line, you don't have to use a ruler, you know, you I mean, just draw a line and you can still yeah. kind of get something from that, you know, whether yeah. it's timing or performance or or even acting, you know. But, yeah, yeah I mean, I've had that before with, with some directors where they won't like looking at like an animator's visual reference because they say, well, you don't look like the character. And that's fair enough, you know, yeah. but like it, it just kind of takes us longer to do the shots then, because, you know, yeah. you, you have to kind of show like a final pass. <laughs> sort of thing as you're blocking, you know, because yeah, that's the yeah, first time they're going to react to the shot You know
2: what's tougher? Yeah <laughs> The other thing that's frustrating in visual effects is you don't always get access to the director Sometimes you'll um you'll get to work in a movie and You'll go through a producer and a visual effects supervisor who are not animators either But the ideas always get watered down always yeah. when you do that. It's very rare that you meet somebody who will retain exactly what the director wants And communicate that exactly. It's just physically, I think, humanly impossible to do that. But everybody puts their own flavor on something. And um, that could be frustrating. Now, with Andrew, it was great because he wanted to meet the animators, he wanted to talk directly to them. And uh, a lot of the visual effects guys, you know, I made that happen, you know, when he was on CineSync from San Francisco. We'd put the animator's name up. I'd make all the animators sit in the front row. I'd sit in the back and then he would talk to them directly and they would freak out. So they were used to it from working in visual effects. They were like, oh, he's talking to me directly. And to it, and it, was, it was great. But that's exactly what Andrew wanted. He brought me over to Pixar. When we were finishing Toy Story 3. And we sat in dailies and he said, uh, I want it to be like this. I'm like, oh, I get it. This is exactly the same way Disney worked. It's just dailies. You come in, you talk to your director and you t- take your notes and you move on. And I got it, but in visual effects, they they don't operate like that. It's usually, um, you know, you're two or three steps removed from the creative voice, um, which is sometimes works great. You know, sometimes it's a disadvantage, but it's a it's it's a gap, and I'm not I'm not fond of the gap. I like to keep that close, so you can get to the heart of the story and what's really needed.
0: How did your team enjoy working on Beans? Then, which would have been much different process, right? Well, it, it was
2: great because. It was just you're, you You could walk to Elvisa or myself any time, any day of the week, mm-hmm. and we would just talk about what was needed, and that was it. There was no nobody getting in between that. you know. But equally, we had guys come in and go, I had this idea. And I was like, great, let's put it in. So there was lots of stuff that people added to it that came from them that was creative, and it was really key to me to make sure that that was the case. Mm-hmm. We didn't want it to feel um, sort of exclusive, you know. Um, so it was great and it was refreshing and we you know we got we, we got exactly what we wanted
0: and more actually well we're definitely looking for uh more shorts from you guys
2: but i'm glad i'm glad
0: people liked it yeah yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> be we've been blown away by the response and it's been really it's been really great for everyone in management at the company too because it's helped put us on the map where people hadn't thought of as a company that could do this kind of thing mm-hmm. and, um, and it's got people talking so hopefully it leads to some bigger things and fingers crossed but yeah we're definitely going to do um one of these every year at least or more if we can um we have just got to find a way to, to
0: fund it but yeah it's, it was great fun to do all right well if you ever need any more animators you know where to get the pool from right <laughs> absolutely actually i'm really really <laughs> impressed with all the guys
2: coming from my anime um some of the best acting and uh, i'm a huge fan of jay and his and his workflow and, and i know they're getting the best of tuition out there and it's it's you know it's definitely one of the strongest schools providing worldwide talent pools um which is which is awesome and i always keep an eye out so whenever anyone's real shows up with i animate on it i always open that it goes to the top of my list all right yeah, really yeah. appreciate no, it no
0: it's the truth hey amen we really do appreciate your time and uh this is probably the most laughter i've had this early in the morning so <laughs> <I> do... <laughs>
2: Oh, good I'm glad it was great fun thanks very much Larry for setting it up and Jay have a great uh, uh, winter in California not that you get one over there it's not like I'm getting
0: <laughs>
2: it's dark here now Five you thirty. know that it's like 30 it's pitch dark it's freezing it's raining oh <laughs>